It's Ephesians 4, chapter, um, chapter 1, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Why does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly reigns? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Good morning, everyone. So we are now at the end of the Fullness in Jesus vision series, and our vision is this. Our vision for us and our city is that we find fullness in Jesus by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living for Jesus. And so today we're going to look at the final aspect of what it means to find our fullness in Jesus, which is living for Jesus, to find our life's purpose and our life's ambitions in living for Jesus. If we to circle back to the first talk where I said that everyone is searching for fullness, everyone is searching for greater meaning, purpose, and satisfaction, for the unbeliever, the purpose is found within themselves through self-actualization or self-help. But for the believer, purpose is found in God. And our Presbyterian confessional statement, the Westminster Confession of Faith, says it really well in the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of man? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to joy Him forever. I don't have enough time today to do a full comparison on the difference between having a purpose that is driven by self-help versus a purpose that is driven by God. But I will, I will be able to do this more in our next sermon series, Finding More. Uh, this is going to be an evangelistic ser uh, series where it will be great to invite our friends along. And there I'll have time to kind of do that comparison. But for now, I'm going to say two things two things that I've observed to be the weaknesses of a purpose that is driven by self-help versus a purpose that's driven by God. And firstly, a purpose that is driven by self-help, self-fulfillment or personal happiness, I would say is not ambitious enough. A purpose driven by self-help is only confined to yourself. And if your purpose in life is narrowly confined to just yourself, then there's no basis to think bigger picture. There's no basis to engage meaningfully with global issues. And to bring it even closer to home, there's no basis to maintaining personal relationships. If purpose in life is about personal fulfillment and happiness, 
then if someone in your life no longer makes you happy, then they're perhaps dispensable, aren't they? Because there's no basis, no purpose to hold on to that relationship that aren't serving yourself. But in our best moments, there is this deep desire to live for a purpose that is greater than yourself. In our best moments, there's this inner ambition to live for a bigger purpose. And that's why purpose driven by self-help is not ambitious enough. Secondly, purpose driven by self-help, I would say, is too volatile because we simply can't make up our minds. Some days we want to be an accountant, other days we want to be a doctor, some days we want to work in other great cities of the world, other days we want to live in a small coastal town or in the Canada's Rocky Mountains, uh, open up a really good Vietnamese restaurant because there's no good Asian restaurants in those country towns, make a killing, enjoy the lifestyle. But if our purpose is just about ourselves, then our purpose can constantly change with our ever-changing feelings, moods and thoughts, can't it? Whereas having a purpose driven by God, a purpose that is outside of ourselves, then your purpose can be aligned with God's great purpose for the world. In God, we can have a big picture purpose. His purpose can actually transcend our careers, our locations, and even our circumstances. So man, no matter what job we do, or where we live, or how we're feeling in the moment, no matter what we're going through in life, we can participate at all times in a purpose that is greater than ourselves because we're letting God use us for His purposes, not using God for our own purposes. And His purpose, it's steadfast because God is a steadfast God with a steadfast love. He doesn't change His mind with His purposes for us and His world. And so a purpose driven by God is never volatile. See, Christians believe that there is God who made us in love to know Him, but as a human race, we turned away and we're lost to Him. However, God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to break the power of sin and death by going to the cross to save human race, to restore our broken relationship with God and to make us into a new humanity as he prepares this new world where there will be no death and no suffering. And central to God's purpose of restoring and redeeming and making a new people is the church. The church is the result of God's saving purpose and mission and were, as well as the means by which God's people live for God's saving purpose and mission to reach the whole world. So here's, here's the thing. So as, as ordinary as it might seem, as ordinary as it might feel to come and participate and come along to church this Sunday, as follows Jesus, by belonging to a church, we are living for a purpose that is greater than yourself. And in church, you learn and are formed to see that self-help is not the way to the purpose in life. Instead, self-sacrifice to others and to God is the way to fulfilling our purposes in life. And so in today's passage, we're going to learn about two of God's purposes for us, that is in and through the church, which is to live in unity within diversity and to grow in unity within diversity. And as we living and growing in unity within diversity of the church, that is how we find together the fullness of Christ. 
So that's where we're going in today's passage. So the first purpose is to live in unity within diversity. Verse 1 of chapter 4, we read, As prisoners, as prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Again, we see this pattern of motivation by identity, not punishment. We are to live worthy of the identity that we have received in Christ. What does this look like? To live according to our identity in Christ? Well, Paul spells it out in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are called to be humble, gentle, and patient to maintain the unity in the church. Humility is not about looking down upon yourself. Humility is about restraining our sense of entitlement to have our needs met by putting other people's needs before ourselves. Humility is promoting and celebrating another person's gifts, talents, and service more than your own. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I think that's a great definition. It's not thinking less of yourself, you're not putting yourself down, it's just about thinking yourself less and thinking more about other people more. And so being gentle is also not about being weak, it means dealing with other people with kindness rather than harshness, with empathetic compassion rather than demanding force. For example, to spur each other on to raise the standard of our commitment to serve and love one another for Jesus' sake. We go about it by setting a good example and through words of encouragement, not by being demanding and with words of criticism. It's the image of Jesus as the good shepherd that tends to his sheep lovingly, not the picture of a herdsman that whips and wrangles their cattle. To be patient means to recognize that spiritual growth takes time and it differs from person to person. We're called to be patient when there seems to be people who seem to be unreliable or lazy or when we experience less love than we have shown to others. That is what it means to be patient. And Richard Koken, a pastor who has written a commentary on Ephesians, makes this very insightful observation as to why these qualities are particularly hard for us as people who call ourselves Sydney-siders. He says this, These attitudes are probably especially challenging for those who are more privileged, sharp-elbowed middle class. Our upbringing may mean that we don't struggle so much with violence, theft or promiscuity, but find humility, gentleness and patience very difficult indeed. This is because our Western culture indulges our self-promoting view that being opinionated, aggressive and ambitious for ourselves and our family is a good thing. But such arrogance is really a sin that strangles the growth of a church because we end up pulling our church in different directions. Ouch. That's a bit of a heavy quote, isn't it? And I'm guessing that his church is probably a lot like Chapel Hill. Because I think it makes us, it makes a very accurate assessment of us. Because we're a church made up of predominantly middle class working professionals. 
And we have been very strongly influenced by the Western culture of self-assertion and self-promotion, isn't it? And so if humility and gentleness and patience are things that are really hard for us as middle-class Sydney-siders, then what is going to be that effective motivation for us to actually live out humility, gentleness, and patience? Is it going to be motivation by punishment? Will God punish us us if we're not humble, gentle, and patient? No. Again, Paul motivates us from identity, who we are in Christ. But this time, Paul talks about our identity in Christ as being one. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope, when you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and indoor. The word one is repeated seven times. And notice that all three persons of the Trinity is mentioned. The one spirit has called us into the one body, the church, the one Lord, who is Jesus called us to the one faith in him, symbolized by our one baptism, and the one Father who is the origin and the ruler and sustainer of everything and everyone in the universe. God's own identity is a community of unity of three persons who are very different but equal and are ordered in love for each other. Therefore, our identity in Christ has to be communal not individual because God is communal, not individual. And so we become more like God when we live to maintain unity within diversity because God is unity within diversity. And it's pretty incredible that our church community gets to reflect the very nature of God. And so we are motivated to be humble, gentle and patient with each other because only together can we become more like God. So you can't say that you're godly when you can't get along with others. Because the very definition of God is unity within diversity. So how then do we practically maintain our unity and oneness in Christ? Consider two things. Conflict and tension is to be expected in the church. If we don't have conflict and tension, it could mean that we're experiencing a very good season of peace. In the church or it could mean that we're actually not growing close enough to each other see conflict and tension are actually healthy signs of a good and growing ministry because we're actually getting intimately close with one another trying to work out our unity how to work out our differences for the glory of God and so conflict is not something to avoid or eliminate it's a matter on resolving conflict. And secondly, when conflict and tensions do arise, rather than stirring things up with overconfident opinions, destructive gossip, and bitter aggression, we are to prayerfully encourage and help one another to listen humbly, speak gently, and forgive patiently. See, too often God's people have been characterized by self-centeredness, sharp tongues, and an appetite for conflict. This is a contradiction to the very identity that we have in Christ. And so we are to be like Christ, who has been incredibly humble, gentle, and patient in dealing with us as we live out the unity of Jesus in his church.
The second purpose of Jesus' church is to grow in unity within diversity. The Apostle Paul goes on to explain the value of the diverse gifts and ministries of the church. Verse 7, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Every single believer in Christ, without exception, has been given an additional grace. The additional grace or gift of ministry as Christ has distributed them. In other words, the way that you're wired is not an accident. It's a grace from God. But these graces are not given to us for us to pursue personal success or self-fulfillment. These gifts of grace are given to enrich the life and service of others in our church. When Jesus ascended to heaven after the resurrection, he disarmed the power of sin and Satan, and he gave gifts of ministry to his people. Verse 9, as you've read it, can be a bit confusing. Some have interpreted this verse to mean that Jesus descended to hell before ascending to heaven, but I think a better interpretation that fits better with this context of giving gifts of ministry is to read it with the unity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit such that as Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave the Holy Spirit to descend down upon his people to his disciples to give them gifts of ministry so that he who ascended Jesus Christ is the very one who descended the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are one who ascended and descended at the same time so that Jesus through the Holy Spirit gives gifts of ministry, a diversity of ministry in the church. And this is something to be celebrated and enjoyed, however frustrating our cultural and personal differences may sometimes feel. It has been said that churches can be like a soccer match. 22,000 spectators desperately in need of some exercises and 22 players desperately in need of rest. See, many people think of church as like a crowd of spectators gathering the congregation to watch professional players, the pastors and the leaders, play the game, doing the ministry. But Paul says that the pastors and leaders are given by Jesus to, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the whole congregation are the ministers that Jesus employs to build the church. So What that means, if we were to use this soccer analogy, so imagine the church was a soccer club. Let's call it Church United FC. And the players on the field would be the whole congregation. And the pastors and the leaders are more like coaches, training everyone to play the game of loving God, loving each other, and loving their community, working as a team against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our opponents. And the spectators, they're the watching world of unbelievers, our unbelieving friends, family, work colleagues, and our local community. They're the spectators that watch the church, every member, play the game of ministry. So our living and growing together in unity within the diversity of the church has an outward focus. As we share of God's love and forgiveness for all people to our friends and family, And as we connect them to our church community, 
The hope is that they will tangibly see God's love and forgiveness for all people in the way we love and serve one another despite our differences because we are united in God's love. The Apostle Paul says it like this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, what motivates and drives us to live and grow in the unity within diversity of the church is the fullness of Christ. Verse 13, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ himself is the very fullness of God in all aspects of who he is and what he has won for salvation, the Christian's great purpose in life is to grow to realize the fullness of Christ in all of his spiritual blessings. Whether the goal can be fully realized in this life or not is irrelevant. The point is that the Christian is to press forward with no lesser ambition than that. Because the living in the fullness of a God is the way that human life was intended to be. There is no better way to live. And so the application is this. We can't experience the fullness of Christ alone. We actually need each other. And so it's a contradiction to say that you're desiring the fullness of God and at the same time you snub someone who's different to you, acts different to you, smells different to you. It's a contradiction to say that you're pursuing holiness and you're seeking to cut someone down, tear someone down, squash someone down. It's a contradiction to say that you're pursuing Christ-likeness and you're asserting yourself, promoting yourself, and serving yourself. It's a contradiction because it goes against the very nature of Christ himself. The way to the fullness in Christ is not self-help, but through self-sacrifice. The way to the fullness of Christ is not demanding everyone to be the same as you, but celebrating our differences in our oneness in Christ. For every person that we do not welcome to Chapel Hill, for every person we look down on, for every person that we reject and seek to cast out, we are denying ourselves a measure of the fullness of Christ. Everyone, everyone, contributes to the life and growth of the church. Everyone contributes to our collective experience of knowing and loving Jesus more and more. So what do we do as a church to practice life for Jesus? How is together better in all that we do? Firstly, we are to serve with our gifts together. At Chapel Hill, we encourage everyone to use their gifts of ministry everyone does have a gift to serve one another in the church community and to make it easier for people to get involved we've created a serving card that shows all the different ways that you can get involved in serving here at Chapel Hill so go check it out it's on the next steps table it's the yellow card and be encouraged that we are not meant to be consumers but we're contributors we're not spectators but we're playing on the field together And together in service, we will know more of the fullness of Jesus, his own sacrificial service to us. Secondly, we are to give financially together. For our visitors, we don't want or need their money. We want to give them the gospel of Christ, 
so they might find the fullness of life with us. But to give the gospel of Jesus to others, it comes at a financial cost to run our ministries. And so we encourage everyone to give financially to support the ministry of giving to others the gospel of Jesus Christ. As one church leader colorfully puts it, he says, we're all knots in the net that God has thrown over the world. And so we need to get involved. We need to be like a net and each pull our weight with our time, with our gifts, and as well as with our finances. And we'll be presenting more about the church's financial uh, position at our vision meeting. So please stay after morning tea to hear more about how you might be able to contribute to our mission together. And together in giving financially, we will know more of the fullness of Jesus, his generosity shown to us. Thirdly, we are to share our faith with others together. Sharing our faith is also a team effort. By working together to harness each other's gifts in connecting our unbelieving friends, in sharing our faith with them. And this year, we're organizing what we call connection events. These are purely social events. There's no switch and baiting on them. There's no sneaking in a little talk for them. The aim is to simply invite our friends to socialize with people from our church with the hope that they might be invited to the next thing on our church calendar. It could be the next connection event. It could be the next sermon series. It could be the next welcome lunch. And our hope and prayer is that our friends might be willing to attend the Explore course with you. And after that, through a number of different touch points within our church, they might be led to Christ. See, to lead people to Christ, it's not one event that's going to lead them to conversion. It takes multiple touch points, multiple relationships, multiple conversations before, before someone becomes a Christian. I want to share a really encouraging most recent story about a couple who we ran a connection event by putting simply bacon and eggs for the Roselle Rascal playgroups. And one mum, that time where we put on bacon eggs was her very first time that she went to this Roselle Rascal playgroup. She can't, she'd gone to any other Tuesday or Thursday, but it was that one time. And there we gave her a bacon and egg roll and a fly to our carols. We then see her at our carols event with uh, their son James and also husband. We then see them at their Christmas service. We then see them in January and most recently we've had this couple over for brunch with Amy and I and now they're really excited to being part of this church and looking at doing Christian Explored in their home and so it takes multiple touch points multiple relationships multiple conversations before someone is led closer and closer to Christ and so as the leader of the church we want to facilitate this process we want to be intentional we want to help everyone make connections. And so we're going to run the next two connect, connection events, and they're going to be brunch at the markets. The next one will be on Saturday, 9th of March at Orange Grove. And next, the following month, in April the 6th, we're going to organize brunch in the markets at the Carriage Works Farmers Markets. And you can find up about our upcoming connection events on the What's On page of our website. And we'll be promoting them also through Facebook events. But connection events is, can be anything that you guys want to self-initiate. And as a church leadership, we'll back it by promoting it, plugging it, and making it known to people. The Explore course is the best way for your friends to explore Christianity. Explore is a conversation 
not a classroom. The course is an informal dialogue where you can openly ask questions and share your thoughts as we together explore Jesus with others. And we're actually this year creating a customized explore course this year to make it more specific to our context. And we're also gonna try out different dates to make the course more accessible. So the next time it runs, we're gonna run it on a Sunday afternoon next month after the church service. And we're also gonna create a book version of this course to give people the flexibility to do the course one-to-one with their friends. So watch this space. Lastly, at Chapel Hill, we wanna support ministries of mercy together. As recipients of the gospel, we are recipients of God's mercy, compassion, and justice through Jesus Christ. And as his followers, it is a natural outworking for us to seek mercy, compassion, and justice to our fellow neighbors as we seek God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth. And we're going to do it financially by supporting mercy and aid organizations. So please stay for the vision meeting to hear more about the three mercy organizations that the leadership is proposing for our congregation to support. So to sum up, living for Jesus is a life lived together for Jesus. Our cultural narrative of seeking to live for God's given purpose is usually characterized by the solo journeys, individual pilgrimages, self-understanding to find God that serves your self-fulfillment. But Jesus shows us that life lived for God is not one of self-fulfillment, but one of self-sacrifice to others. Only through service and sacrifice for Jesus are our longings for purpose and our ambitions ever satisfied. Because as we live for Jesus together, we become like him in his service and we be with him in his sacrifice. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that your purpose and vision for us is that we might live life to the full, a life with you, a life of becoming more like you, and a life for you as we seek every man and woman upon this earth to live in the fullness of God, and that's all made available for Jesus as he's come to earth to reveal himself and to reveal a life of self-sacrifice. May we follow him and live life to the full. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.